going to try to get through this. My throat has been bothering me. Yes. Okay, record Thank you. Um, for those you know me, I'm Dante Griffin. Um, on the preaching team, and actually the preaching team will be preaching for the next three weeks while Kenny is out. Um, so we are continuing our series on Luke. We did this earlier this year. We did chapters 1 through 9. So today we're going to do 10 and 11, um, or at least parts of it. So first, a quick overview. Luke 10 starts with Jesus sending 72 of his disciples on essentially what we would call a mission trip. Gives them some specific instructions, particularly with regards to support. They're going to take nothing with them. No money, no clothes, no extra clothes, you say, no suitcase. Just rely on the generosity of those they are being sent to. And then the chapter continues with Jesus' prayer of thanksgiving upon his disciples' return from their mission trip. And then we get to one of Jesus' well-known parables, the Good Samaritan, which we're going to skip today. Um, and then chapter 10 ends with Jesus visiting some friends. Chapter 11 then starts with a condensed version of the Lord's Prayer, then Jesus casting out a demon, some additional teachings about judgment and light, and then we end with Jesus getting into arguments with various religious leaders about what it means to obey the law. And that's chapter 10 and 11, and we're done, we can go home. <laughs> now, um, actually, what I want to look at today is one of, one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. But before we get to it, we have to look at Luke 11, 5 to 13. Okay. So, as I said earlier, Luke 11 starts with Jesus. It actually starts with one of the disciples asking Jesus, to teach them to pray. So Jesus gives an abbreviated version of what we call the Lord's Prayer, and then we come to verse five. And it says, then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit. I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night. My family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake. If you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your, because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Okay, I'm going to say something about this passage that you're not supposed to say about Scripture. I hate this passage. <laughs> Maybe hate's too strong a word. I, this passage annoys the crap out of me. It really does. It frustrates me to no end. Because I read this passage and I think about all the things I pray about and all sorts of questions just start popping in my mind. Because 
I wonder, is God really listening to me? Does he really want me to be persistent in prayer? I mean, Jesus says we are to be persistent in prayer. And so I tell you, keep on asking, he says. You will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking. You will find. Keep on knocking. The door will be open to you. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Those are his words. Not minds, not the disciples, not even the law. Those are Jesus' own words from his own mouth. And it's not the last time Jesus talks about being persistent in prayer to his disciples. In chapter 18, and whoever's was preaching on 18, I forgive me for taking your thunder away. Um, he says, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who has faith? Again, Jesus talks about literally bugging God to death with your request, begging, pleading, driving even a just God crazy with your request. And what will the Heavenly Father do in response to such persistence? We go back to Luke 11. He says, Your fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask them? And this is where I go crazy. Because what's typically taught from this passage is that God will answer our prayers, right? Well, what the text says is that God will send his Holy Spirit. And I have a problem with that because I didn't ask for the Holy Spirit. That wasn't my request. And it wasn't like I was asking God to win me the Powerball drawing or to have the Orioles win a game in the postseason. I wasn't asking for the impossible or something selfish. I was asking, I thought, for something good, something needful, and that God would answer that prayer. I've been to numerous prayer meetings and church services and Bible studies and Sunday school classes, and I've heard people give requests after request after request, and to be honest, I've rarely heard anyone give a, quote, bad request or a self-centered or selfish prayer request. Here are some of the requests I've heard people give or ask God for. The salvation of a family member. Money to pay bills that are literally months overdue. Has someone asked for a job because they've been out of work for months? A loved one who's deathly ill. I've heard people ask for God to intervene in their marriage that's falling apart on them. A spouse who doesn't believe in Jesus, 
and is increasingly against the kids being, being allowed to go to church. This is my, this one just brings back so many memories. A couple who were struggling with inf infertility and were desperate to have, a, wanted to have a child. Children rebelling against everything their parents believed. These are all good requests. At least I think so. And what happened? Well, some of them were answered. Loved ones were, were healed. That family member started walking with Jesus. That couple that struggled with infertility, they applied for adoption. And just as the paperwork was being finished for them adopting a little girl, they found out that they were miraculously pregnant. So they went from zero to two. Just like that. But some of those requests weren't answered. The family member died never coming to Jesus. The job never materialized. The marriage collapsed into divorce. I've asked the Heavenly Father myself, no, well, various requests over time. Sometimes he's answered, sometimes he hasn't. I've asked for guidance in my life. I've asked him what jobs to take, where to live. Heck, I even asked God, when I go get a new car, you know, should I get this one or that one? Should I buy, should I lease? Yes, I'm that annoying in particular about it. But the request that I pester God about the most is for a wife, is for a partner, someone to share my life with, both the good and the bad. This is hard for me. I don't, didn't want to do this sermon, but. This past week, I went through my files looking for a document, which I found, I knew it was in there somewhere. It was a letter I written to my future wife. I won't go into detail about what I wrote or why I wrote it. What's important is when I wrote it. July 21st, 1996. I have been praying and asking and begging and pleading with the Father for a wife for over 27 years. And you know what his response has been? It hasn't been yes. It hasn't been no. It's been dead silence. And I'll be honest, I'm tired. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of asking. I'm tired of asking. I told Fred this morning that part of the sermon was going to be a bit of a whine. That's the whining part. <laughs> but I will ask, have you prayed about something or someone for days, for months, for years, waiting for an answer, hearing nothing, or maybe getting an answer that you didn't want? See, what do we do when Luke 11, 5 through 13 is not the truth that we as believers experience in our everyday lives? What do we do when asking and seeking and knocking gets us nothing but a closed door or answers we weren't expecting? Now, I, I did have a slide that had a bunch of preachers screaming at the congregation because this is the part of the sermon where I, I'm supposed to spend the remaining time reprimanding you and me about our lack of faith our lack of belief, and the sin that is clearly coursing through our lives and interfering with God's answers to our prayers. I decided to take the slide out. Um, it was a cool slide. Because that's what a, quote, good preacher of God's word would do right now. He wouldn't have spent all this time criticizing God and Jesus and the Spirit over how he chooses to answer certain prayers and not others. Well, I'm not going to do that. 
I don't think it's helpful. I don't think it's what we need in our dark hour of prayer is reminders of our inadequacies of sin. What we need, who we need, is Jesus. One, <laughs> that's all right. One of the paradoxes of Christian faith is that when God doesn't make sense, we need to turn to the God who does make sense. When our prayers are not being answered, we need to go running to the one who answers prayers in the first place. When our struggles, our doubts, our lack of faith involve God, the paradox is that he is the answer. He's whom we go running to. I'm not a parent, but I've observed many families over the years. And one thing parents constantly talk about, and you will learn this, Claire, is how much their children drive them crazy. Which is understandable. Children have a million and one questions. But parents, have you ever considered the opposite view? How much you drive your kids crazy? <laughs> After all, a child doesn't have answers to the million and one questions they need answered. Why is the sky blue? Why is the ocean thirsty? Where is dinner? When is dinner? Where are my clothes? They can't provide for themselves. They don't have any money. They don't have any jobs. So what do they do? Well, they, they turn to the one person or persons who they know have what they need. So they bug their parents over and over and over and over and over again. And when the parent doesn't respond or responds in a way the child doesn't like, what does the child do? They whine and beg and cry some more. We adults call it throwing a tantrum. Seriously, what else is a child supposed to do? Who else can a child turn to? Have you ever considered the idea that a child's tantrum, as bad as it can get, as annoying as it can be, is a child's way of saying, you are my only hope? As believers in Jesus, disciples, we are children of God, and like little children, God expects us to come running to him with our questions, our requests, our doubts, our fears, our everything. But what he provides more than anything is himself. His loving, kind, just, patient self. And that brings me to one of my favorite passages of scripture, Luke 10, 38-42. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha Martha, welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. So she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Martha, like so many of us, wants to do things for Jesus. She wants to serve him. I want to serve Jesus. I talked about this in a previous service of teaching. I want to be a servant for Jesus, doing what he asks of me. So what Martha is doing is not wrong. 
But serving Jesus, and this is hard for me to admit to myself, is secondary to being with Jesus. Mary discovered the truth of being in fellowship with Jesus. You run to him, you sit at his feet, and you let being in his presence renew your spirit, clear your mind, and provide strength to your body. A number of you are aware that I suffer from depression. I've never been shy about telling this to people ever since I was diagnosed. What I've tried not to talk about is one of the primary fuels of my depression. What time and time again sends me into dark places and pits of despair. And that's the loneliness I experience every day living without a spouse. It hurts. It hurts emotionally, it hurts mentally, it hurts spiritually, it even sometimes hurts physically. And to go through life watching couples and families live their lives, experiencing both the joys and disappointments of marriage. I'll be honest, there are times when I don't come to church, I don't go out with friends because just the thought of attending by myself hurts more than being in misery by myself alone at my house. 27 plus years I've been asking. And in my darkest days of persistent and yet unanswered prayer, when I'm pulling my hair out over no good contacts on yet another online dating site, the spirit comes and he tells me, come to Jesus, stop fighting, stop working, just sit and abide with him. Whether I like it or not, Luke eleven thirteen is truth. It is truth because we need the spirit of God living within us. We need him teaching and encouraging and loving us through both the good and the bad days, and especially the dark nights of our souls. I read a story somewhere, I don't remember where, about a guy named Juan. Juan, every day when he finished work, would go to a church out to the corner, sit in the back, and just sit there. He never bowed his head in prayer. He never came to the altar or lit a candle. He'd just sit there. And the head priest kept wondering, what is he doing? He just comes in, he sits, and then he leaves. So finally one day, the priest, the priest approached him. Sir, I see you here every day. You come in, you sit for a few minutes, you leave. What are you, why, are you, why do you come? And one replied, well, sir, I come here after work to talk to Jesus. That was the last answer the priest expected. So he looked at him and said, well, what do you talk to Jesus about? And Juan said, well, I just say, hi, Jesus, it's Juan. That's it? Said the priest, yeah. And Jesus says, hi, Juan, it's Jesus. You see, serving Jesus is not bad. Doing good things is not bad. It's necessary. It's signs of how much Jesus has changed us. Ways for us to show Jesus and others how much we love him and them. We need to be persistent in our prayers, even when the answers don't come or are not to our liking. Because as I said before, God desires his children to bug him. But we also need to be more like Mary and Juan, not only in our prayer life, but in our everyday life. At times, we need to be less concerned about what we're doing for God or what God is doing for us. 
We just need to come to Jesus and to sit down and say, hi, Jesus, it's me, Dante, and do nothing except just sit and let Jesus Christ be enough. Father God, it is hard when we don't see answers to our prayers. And it is in those times that we just need to come to you and just be in your presence. And just sit and let you hold us tight and remind us of how much you love us. Thank you for being there in the darkest moments of our lives. In your son's name, amen. Amen. Um, We are going to do communion, and I don't see our communion servers. Oh, they are here. Um, Communion is a time, I left my script, that's bad, that's right. Communion is a time for us to reflect on what God has been and Jesus has done for us in our lives. All are invited to come to communion. Um, when you're ready, just come down row by row. They will offer you a piece of bread, you can dip it in the juice and then take it back to your seat. And then we'll continue worship. <laughs>